Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today, we welcome back our wonderful pediatric guest, Anna Rattan, who is an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist with over 12 years of experience, who specializes in pediatric and neonatal nutrition therapy and dietary education, and is also the creator of Nourish Little Lives. On today's episode, it is a part two of a two-part series with Anna, with today being the Q&A section from our listeners. You've asked Anna all of the questions, and today she provides all of the answers. So let's dive straight in, and you can follow Anna on her socials. So Instagram is at Nourish Little Lives, and her website is nourishlittlelives.com.au. Just before we jump into the episode, today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method Coaching Service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gutman Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let me and my team show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one 12-week coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. Welcome back to the podcast, Anna. We are super excited to have you back on today. Thank you for having me again. It's so lovely to be back. I know you've got some questions that came up last time from everybody, so I'm excited to get to them. So many questions. And listeners, if you haven't listened to the first podcast that we did with Anna, we talked all things, all things starting solids, uh, baby-led weaning, purees, um, what we should do, that sort of thing. And we're coming back for the second episode today, all about the Q&A. So we would recommend going and listening to the first episode first. Um, so if this is the one that you've jumped into, do just head back one episode, listen to the first one with Anna, and then we can dive deep into the Q&A today. So I'm excited, Anna. Are you ready to kick straight into it? Yeah, let's get straight into it because I'm sure there's quite a few questions and knowing me, I probably talk too much, so <laughs> you have to cut me off. No, I love it. I, more the better, right? Knowledge is power. I always say it is I love learning. Power, that's right. So first question is from our listener, Jess. So Jess said, are packet and shop made baby purees okay to use for busy working parents or should we be aiming to make our own? Yeah, it's a really common question that I get and I get it as a mum of three working, you know, it's busy, it's it's hard like to balance and juggle everything and there are going to be moments where we need a really quick option for our baby. But the thing with the packet baby foods is nutritionally they're really quite low in key nutrients that a baby needs to support their growth and development. So I always like to recommend to parents, it's okay to use them once in a while. It's okay if you're out and you need a quick option. It's okay if you're traveling and you need something to feed your baby while you're doing something out of the home. I recommend limiting them for use otherwise to just occasionally, just for those emergency situations. Um, The reason being is because nutritionally they do provide very little 
in terms of the key nutrients that would support a baby's growth and development. So if we look at just even the ingredients list on the most common kind of packet baby foods, you'll often see ingredients like tomato concentrate, apple puree, carrot, water. So they're quite, you know, cheap ingredients for baby food producers to use. And they're often listed first on the ingredient product, which means they make up the majority of the content of the food. Mm -hmm. So even if we look at an example, I've got one here of, say, a 10-month baby packet, and it's an organic chicken bolognese. If we look at the ingredients list, chicken is listed as the eighth ingredient, and water is first. So the balance of nutrients is already going to be quite poor, just using that as your only information source because we know that chicken's going to have a lovely amount of fat, a lovely amount of iron, and we've got those other kind of filler ingredients that are coming in before the chicken. So out of that packet, which is 170 grams, so about half a cup of food, only 5% of the chicken bolognese is actually chicken. So that equates to about two teaspoons in that whole kind of product. So in terms of iron and fat, it's going to be really difficult for your baby to meet their nutrition requirements. So fat's really important for babies to support their growth, their brain development, their central nervous system, and the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins. They need fat in their diet. Most baby food packets have less than a gram of fat in them. If we're looking at iron specifically, again, there's something that's really essential for a baby's brain development, essential for their growth, um, for their central nervous system and immune function. You know, the iron content in baby foods is really quite negligible. There was a study done in 2021 and it looked at the iron content specifically in packaged baby food packets and it found that a baby would need to eat two kilograms of baby food or 14 packets of baby food sachets to meet their iron requirements for the day, which obviously is an impossible amount. We'd never recommend eating that much food, um, but the nutritional quality or content per gram is is just lower than what you would find if you were making the food yourself basically. So the other thing to look at as well as how the foods are made, you know, they're on the shelf for one to two years. They're kind of heated to really high temperatures to kill any pathogens that might be present in the food to make them shelf stable. So in that process, we're also losing other kind of water-soluble vitamins and minerals that might be in the food. We're not really sure what the nutritional content of those are in the packet food either. So from a nutritional point of view, yes, you can use them sometimes. It's okay. Don't feel bad about it, but it just can't be 100% of the only food that you give your baby. They just won't be able to meet their nutrition requirements. And again, just even looking at the functionality of the food, if you've got kind of those baby pouches with a little spout on the end and you're feeding most of your foods to your baby via a pouch, then they're not going to see the food. They're not interacting with the food. They're not touching the food. So they're missing out on these really lovely key sensory steps to learning how to eat. So it's really important that we provide those experiences to babies. So again, okay sometimes, but if you're using that as their only experience with food, then they're going to be missing out on not developing some of the skills that they need to be happy, healthy, growing eaters, um, you know, when they get older. And, you know, even the texture progressions can be a little slow. So, you know, we've got babies that are you know from six to eight months that are on really smooth puree there's no need to be on really smooth puree for that amount of time so again lots of I guess reasons why you wouldn't want to use them all the time but okay to use sometimes I think the other thing to look at too is you know babies don't need specific baby food 
Hmm. They can eat what's on your plate. There should be something on your plate that you can give your baby. Or can you modify a meal that you've made so your baby's eating the same food as you do? You need to puree it up a little bit. Can you puree up a stew if you're doing baby-led weaning? Is there something on the plate that you can safely give your baby? So we need to kind of move away from the idea that babies need separate food. You should just be preparing one food for your family and then just including your baby in that meal, ideally. I love that. And I must admit, I was definitely, you know, busy working, full-time mom. I was like, even as a dietitian, I was like, I don't think I have the time to prepare all this baby food. It felt really overwhelming. So I went to the supermarket and I thought, you know what? They don't use much salt, if any at all. They're all organic. Like these look like pretty good options. Yeah. And I'd turn the packet over and it would be like the beef amount or the chicken amount was only like six or 7%. And I'm thinking, yeah. I know as a dietitian, iron is the most important nutrient. Absolutely. Like, that is not enough, is it? And as you said, it's mostly just veggies. And from a nutrition point of view, that's wonderful, but we're actually trying to get some calories into bobs as well. Yeah. And as you said, there's no avocado in those pouches. There's no extra virgin olive oil. We don't have those good quality healthy fats that we can easily yeah. add into our meals. So I must admit, I was I was thinking of going down that route to start with, but I very quickly just almost did it as like a batch meal prep for myself. Like to, this afternoon after we jump off this potty, I'm making me some little um, beef and vegetable meatballs. And the other day we just did some chickpea pasta and I blended up a whole lot of like a vegetable sauce basically with like a can of tomato. So I made a sauce out of that. And all I'm going to do is put them into little freezer, um, like clip-lock bags exactly. and put maybe six to eight pieces of pasta in there and the sauce and then make like 15 packets of that and shove it yeah. in the freezer. And then I can just sort of like bring them out. So I'm sort of only prepping meals for her maybe one a week and it's sort of yeah. stretching a long way. Plus I put a piece of fruit and a piece of veg on the yeah. plate as well. And it gives us a good idea of, you know, protein, iron, that nice yeah. balance. So I found it quite overwhelming as a full-time working mum as well. But I feel like that meal prep and that batch prep really, really helped me out. And I think too, like it's easy to say, oh, you ba- you shouldn't feed your baby those foods. But you're right. We need to give parents options for what they can do because we are we are busy. It is a juggle, and we need to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. So you know, there are some lovely companies that do frozen baby food um, throughout Australia, depending on which state and city that you're in, and mm-hmm. you know they're often like quite highly nutritious and they do focus on the nutrition quality of their food so you can look at potentially some of those options and they deliver to your door you just pop the food straight in your freezer and you've got options ready to go which is fantastic Mm. the other thing you can do if you need to use a pouch what can you add to it do you have a a tin of sardines in your pantry you can add to that pouch because then you're adding omega-3s you're adding in fat you're adding in protein can you add a couple of teaspoons of cooked couscous into that puree as well then you're adding some lovely grains as well So if you do need to use it at home, that's fine. Add a teaspoon of butter, add some other ingredients to it, and then it just becomes that little bit more nourishing as well. And take it out of the packet, serve it in a bowl, serve it with a spoon and let your baby, you know, touch and feel and interact with the food. I love that. It's almost like I say to my clients who are, you know, trying to lose weight, they go, I can't have this at a restaurant. I say, we can have that, but how do we modify to make it, you know, a more nourishing balanced meal to support your goal of weight loss? It's the same thing, right? We can use a pouch if we need to, but how do we modify it to support our baby's needs? Yeah, exactly. And remember, it's okay occasionally. What we're talking about here is just, you know, it can't be that key, the only source of nutrition for your baby. When babies start out, they're only eating one to two teaspoons of food, if that, for at least a couple of weeks. So we need those one to two teaspoons to be really quite nourishing to help them meet their requirements for iron especially. Mm. And the other thing as well, a lot of baby pouch food is it's either mostly fruit or it's like fruit and custard together. So if you actually look in that baby pouch section, there's actually maybe I would say 15, 20% overall, which is sort of like beef and vegetable or chicken and fish. Like there's very minimal protein and veggie options compared to what they are, you know, the fruit and the custard based substance. So if you look at the range nutritionally, it just doesn't stack up that well. 
of the little yeah. ones that are the great quality, the protein and the veg type ones, as you said, if you really break down the nutrition panel, it just doesn't stack up nutritionally to what bubs need. Yeah, exactly. And the thing with those custards too is like reading the nutrition information panel, you'll find sugar added into the product. So there's at least two to three teaspoons of sugar added to the baby custards, depending on which brand you buy. Again, you know, we, we really don't need to be adding sugar to our baby's food. Um, so that's another issue that kind of is a little bit problematic with those baby type pouch options. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was an excellent, very well-rounded answer as well. So okay. well done, Anna. Um, and then this sort of, this question, I guess, leads into what we've been saying. So the question number two is from Blair. Um he, I don't know, he or she said, um, in the shops, if a baby food says eight plus months, can I give it to my six month old as a form of baby led weaning slash introducing them to textures faster? So is that safe? Um, yes, I guess so. Babies don't need to start out on smooth puree. If, your baby, if you've waited till six months to start solids with your baby or around six months when they're developmentally ready, you, you don't even need to start on puree. Mm. You can start at mash, you can start at soft lumps, you can start at baby led weaning, finger food. So you don't even need to start there if you don't want to. If you choose to, you can definitely progress a lot faster than waiting two months to introduce soft lumps. In fact, I recommend please introduce some sort of texture to your baby um, really quite quickly. It's not this slow process. So, you know, we want them to have textures. We want them to have different exposures to color and textures of food. So there's no need to wait until the eight-month mark. The thing with the eight-month baby purees, yeah, you can use that to introduce early so you're getting kind of some lumps in. But I'd also recommend just including some finger food mm. uh, as well. So, yeah, maybe like a soft avocado wedge, maybe some soft banana, so something that they can actually, you know, touch and feel and put in their mouth as well as you said in the last podcast it's about the whole eating experience not just what goes into their mouth isn't it yeah exactly and then question number three from lily uh is how do you know when your baby is ready to move on from purees yeah so with your purees again you don't need to start with puree but if you choose to that's okay i'd recommend not staying there very long so once your baby's having one to two teaspoons of puree food consecutively, then it'll be time to move to something like a thicker mash or soft lumps. Sorry, babies need texture to develop their oral skills. So if we're not including texture in their diet, then they kind of, they can really get stuck on those smooth purees and it can be really hard to transition them. Mm. So there is a key window or critical window for offering lumps to your baby or texture to your baby. And that's before nine to 10 months of age. So lumps or texture is critical for developing jaw strength and chewing and swallowing skills. So there have been studies that have done that showing that babies who have delayed introduction of lumps are more likely to be eating less across all food groups and are reported as having more feeding problems, um, you know, as they get older. So it's really important to get those textures in and get them in early. Yeah. And why is it that food companies, is it like a safety insurance, like they're just covering their own backs by saying, you know, you can't have soft lumps until 10 months or something? Is there, is there a reason? Or yeah, I've, Honestly, I've got really no idea. And, you know, I guess having this kind of this standardized approach, it doesn't, it's not real life. Like babies all develop at different weights. Mm. Um, the more texture you introduce, the earlier, the quicker that your baby's actually going to develop those skills. So, yeah, I'm potentially it's just a food production type safety issue. But yeah. I, 
yeah, it's, I'm not really sure. Interesting. <laughs> it's glad that we have experts such as you on the podcast to really, I guess, just dispel some of those myths. Cause I think you see that food in the, in the aisle at the supermarket yeah. and you think, well, oh gosh, I can't give that to my baby until they are 10 months, knowing that it's actually probably even, as you said, more negative to them de- developmentally if we actually wait longer to do that. Yeah. It's a really good, good point as well that we take kind of this nutrition information for granted, don't we? Like not everybody has access to this. Not everybody um, is provided with all this advice when they're, you know, when they're just sent home with a baby. <laughs> like, um, And, you know, depending on who you see, you might have different opinions about what you do and how you start solids. But, you know, a lot of parents do get the information from what's on the packet and what they're seeing in the supermarket shelves. And a lot of times that's not the best advice or it's a little bit misleading almost. Mm-hmm. All right. Question number four from Chris. Should we introduce allergens on the wrist or foot first or do we put them straight into the baby's mouth? Yeah, really another kind of common question. Um, It's one I get asked quite a bit actually, but, you know, when we're looking at food allergen introduction, we're still kind of learning about it. Mm. Like we don't have all the evidence yet. There's lots of studies. Um, We're always learning and continuing to understand how allergens or food allergies develop in babies. We know that it's increasing. Uh, One of the things we do know is that we shouldn't be with the current evidence base rubbing food onto our baby's skin as a way of testing for a food allergen Mm -hmm. and the reason is it won't help identify a food allergy but also it can actually increase the risk of developing a food allergy and that's by the process called sensitization so if you're kind of rubbing it on the skin first the immune system may build a response to the food allergen presented on the skin And then upon re-exposure, say if then you introduced it orally, the immune system initiates more of an aggressive kind of rapid memory response to that food allergen. Mm. So it's really important that we go the oral route first. We know that orally if we introduce food allergens early, it can have a tolerance-inducing effect, meaning that it can be preventative for food allergy development. Mm. The other Mm. thing too is to consider your baby's type of skin so if your baby has eczema or atopic colitis, mm. then we definitely shouldn't be rubbing food onto their skin first because they've got a skin barrier dysfunction and that could definitely kind of increase the risk of sensitization or food allergy for rubbing it on their skin first. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always into straight into the mouth when we're trying to test allergies. Always straight into the mouth. Yeah. Absolutely. Wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Um, question number five from Nancy. And this is a common one. And I, this came up quite a lot when I asked my listeners for, you know, what sort of questions do we ask Anna? I reckon I got this one, you know, 20 times plus. So it was to do with constipation in baby. So how do we know if a breastfed baby is constipated and what should we do if they are? Yeah, look, poo is one of the things I probably talk about the most when I'm doing infant consults <laughs> and... You know, I think it's even as a dietitian, it's probably one of the things we talk about most. Oh, I talk about all isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably. And like, no, like I don't even bat an eyelid. Yeah. People get so embarrassed. They can't even make eye contact with me. They're looking down. I'm like, no, don't worry. Honestly, I've heard everything. I know. Exactly. It's so funny. Like, yeah, we're just so, it's just something that we talk about, even at the dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> nothing off, nothing off limits. But look, a baby's poo is, you know, it's one of the first things that I'll ask about. It gives really good insight into a baby's overall nutrition, their hydration and their health and well-being. So it's really uncommon for an exclusively breastfed baby to be constipated. Mm-hmm. Constipation in babies is defined more so by the texture of the poo rather than the frequency. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, initially when babies are born, you know, they kind of can poo quite a few times a day when they're breastfeeding. And then around, you know, that six weeks to three months, it's normal for babies to decrease to several poos from several poos a day down to several days between poos. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can go a little bit longer between, you know, your baby doing a poo basically. As long as that poo is still running and soft, then it's not considered constipation. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's down to that texture. Have a look in your baby's nappy and have a look at their stools. Has there been a change? Is it dry? Is it crumbly? Is it kind of like hard pebbles? Then that would be an indication of constipation in a 100% breastfed baby. Mm -hmm. If the baby was breastfed plus something like baby led weaning or breastfed plus, you know, on solids, is it then a little bit more easier to become constipated? Because I'm part of the, you know, the baby led weaning group on Facebook and I constantly see posts of people saying my baby's doing, you know, on solids, but we're suffering with constipation. It was never an issue beforehand, but now it's developed. Yeah, look, sometimes, you know, we're we're obviously there is going to be a change in stools because we're going from 100% liquid diet to a solid diet. Mm. So there will naturally be a change in stool texture. Ideally, we still want stools to be easy to pass and relatively soft. Mm. We don't want baby to be straining a lot and we don't want poos to be that hard, pebbly, crumbly type texture. So, again, it comes down to the texture in terms of identifying constipation, not so much the frequency of bowels being open. When you're doing baby led weaning, you know, it can be normal to see things like undigested food initially because your baby's not, you know, chewing the food as as well as they could be and that's Mm -hmm. okay. It's okay to see that in the baby's stools. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes too, you know, we need to look at the balance of fluid and solids because it can be some parents sometimes if you're introducing solids and they kind of progress with solids really quickly, then they end up dropping kind of the fluid feeds or the milk feeds or the formula feeds or the breastfeeds Mm -hmm. quite quickly. So then when there's an imbalance of fluid and solid, then you can become slightly more constipated as well. So I guess if you are suffering with constipation, the best thing is to kind of get an individual consult, Mm -hmm. a little bit of constipation here and there, you know, and if it resolves and then after a day or two you're seeing those lovely soft stools again, I wouldn't be too concerned about. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that's happening consistently and all the time, then definitely an an individual consult would be ideal. The other thing is to look at kind of the balance of foods that you're offering. You know, are you giving your baby some lovely healthy fats? Are they getting a lot of iron fortified type foods? Because they can also increase the kind of risk of constipation as well. So yeah, individual advice is often the best if you are seeing constipation. Definitely, yeah, because it is one of those things that's more abnormal than normal. But I feel like for whatever reason, social media has just normalised it, like, oh, your baby's constipated because they've started solids. And I'm sort of like, no, it it shouldn't work like that. Yeah, and look, again, it depends on people's understanding of constipation. I think Mm. people don't truly understand what constipation is. Sometimes they think, oh, my baby's constipated. They haven't, you know, gone to the toilet for the last two days, but then they do a really lovely soft stool, and that's not constipation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really down to that stool texture. And sometimes it can be something really simple like, you know, they're not getting enough fluid, and that's that's purely the reason why. So Mm -hmm. sometimes there can be other underlying things going Mm -hmm. on. So individual advice is often best. Wonderful. I'm interrupting this podcast to bring you a healthy break. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. My premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method, provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. 
If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gutman Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let me and my team show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one 12-week coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. And that probably leads us wonderfully into our next question from Claire, who said, when should we give babies water and is it important to give them boiled and cooled water or is filtered water or tap water enough for babies? Yeah. So when it comes to water, nutritionally, there's no nutrition requirement for water before, you know, six months of age, Mm -hmm. breast milk or formula will meet hundred percent of your baby's fluid requirements. Even after six months, Um, there's no specific requirement, especially if you're breastfeeding, to introduce water. You can introduce water between six, anywhere between six to eight months of age. Mm -hmm. Babies will still meet the majority of their fluid requirements through breast milk or infant formula. Breast milk is 87% water. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be their main fluid source. But you can introduce water, and I recommend doing it with meals as opposed to away from meals because we don't want it to take away from a breastfeed or Mm -hmm. a formula feed. So ideally, water should be with the meal. And that's if your baby is growing well and meeting their growth milestones and tracking long charts. Because if not, then it would always be better to provide an additional 20 mil of breast milk if they're going to get some extra calories, Mm -hmm. fat, iron, and other sorts of things, than to providing 20 mil of water. Mm -hmm. So your baby's growing well, Somewhere between six to eight months of age, you can start to introduce water. The current recommendation is to do like cooled, boiled water. Mm -hmm. And you can do it in an open cup just a little bit at the the Mm mealtime. So kind of not away from meals and not taking away from, not replacing breast milk or infant formula. Mm. And it's more, I have been reading that it is better to sort of get them to use an open cup versus getting them to use those more sippy cups. Is that right? Yeah, it's much better for skill development. So what we're doing by using an open cup is kind of teaching a lifelong skill. Whereas with a sippy cup, you're kind of just they're just pouring water into their mouth. They're not really having to develop a lip seal or learn to use the muscles in their mouth to drink water from a cup, which again is a lifelong skill. So it's something that you can practice with your baby, and you know they can you, you can get those little baby cups. Have you seen those? Yeah. They look like little shot glasses for babies. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. have one for Mia, but it's funny because she's got two bottom teeth, and they're the only teeth she has, and she just grinds her teeth like she clamps down <laughs> on it and goes and just grinds them on the cup. So I'm like, I don't know how well we're doing with this. It's all really just for practice and fun at this stage. As I said, like, you know, they don't really have a huge nutritional requirement for water at this point in time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, with the meal is fine. And, you know, just a little bit of practicing sipping. Um, and then you can also do a straw cup as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's something that you can introduce. Yeah, and that would probably be really good for traveling or if you're taking Bob out in the pram, you know, you're going for an hour walk, you're going for a bushwalk or something, that might be nice if it's a really hot day or something Absolutely. just to get Bob a sip or two of water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and on hot days, you know, if your baby's over six months and you're formula feeding, then you might want to offer those little bits of extra water in between. Um, but breastfed babies, there really isn't that need to do that. Wonderful. Um, all right, question seven. We're getting to the home stretch. I can't believe we've Ooh. done six questions already. Wow. <laughs> so question seven from Shannon. Uh, is fruit and veggies okay for some baby meals or should there always be protein like meat or legumes in every meal? Yeah, that's a good question because I guess we need to look at, again, what a baby's nutrition requirements are. 
Ideally, iron needs to be a first food because their iron requirements are quite high. So in the beginning, yes, we should be making sure that every mouthful is as nutritious as possible because they're not eating a lot of food. Mm -hmm. As they progress and they probably start eating two to three meals a day and they start eating a little bit more, then potentially it would be okay to do sometimes. But even then, a fruit or vegetable is probably not going to keep them full enough to the next meal. You know, they're going to mm-hmm. need something that's going to have a little bit more substance, like a little bit of protein. Like even if you put a little bit of yogurt with it, that could that could work. Um, yeah, so it doesn't always have to be like a like an iron food once they get a little bit older, but you could look at something like serving it with a grain food or even something like a yogurt. Mm-hmm. So the meal's balanced and it's going to keep them nice and full until the next meal. Um, and baby's growth requirements, you know, they they do need quite a lot nutritionally to meet their requirements for growth. Mm. So fruits and vegetables alone won't be enough at every meal to kind of do that. Yeah, yeah we want those balanced meals. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. All right. Um, question eight from Brett. When should my baby girl be on three meals a day? She's seven months and has one to two meals a day. That's a common question, isn't it? How many meals a day? Yeah, how many meals a day? And look, it really depends on when you start. Um, if you're starting around six months of age, then, you know, one to two meals a day at seven months, around seven months would be pretty appropriate in my opinion. So usually, you know, we expect around three meals around eight to 10 months of age. And I'm going to give a range because again, every baby is different. Every feeding relationship is different. Mm. Some babies aren't ready to progress to that third meal at, you know, eight months. Some are ready closer to nine to 10 months to take that third meal on. Mm um so really be guided by your baby and how much they're eating at those meals Mm. and whether they're hungry or not the other thing is sleep times you know babies are still having three sleeps a day at least when they're that young Mm. so usually there's not enough time when you're factoring in breastfeed sleep you know those two solid meals to then add another solid meal in um so yeah Usually when they get a little bit older, we kind of focus on that third meal. Mm. Um, and when they've kind of gone down to the two naps, it's usually easier to fit it in. Yeah, I was going to say, even me, like the amount of mess that she makes, it's like, okay, we'll have a breastfeed, we'll have a, we'll have a sleep, we'll go have a solid, we're into the bathtub, we'll have a full outfit change, then we'll try again. If I, was, if I was doing three meals a day with her, I don't think I'd ever get out of the house because I'd yeah. be constantly bathing her, <laughs> changing her. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, that's so yeah. funny. All right, um, question nine from Sarah, and this is a good one because I, originally when I first started Mia and Solids, I was like, how the heck is she going to do baby-led weaning? Like she's only got two bottom teeth. How is she going to chew? I didn't realize you could chew with gum. So question nine from Sarah is, do babies need teeth to be able to have solids or to be able to upgrade from purees? Yeah, no, they don't. Um, Again, I think that's one of those feeding myths that you hear along the line, like they can't chew food if they don't have teeth. Um, But that's absolutely not true. If we we waited till that, like teeth eruption occurs at different stages for many different babies. Like some babies don't even erupt teeth till over 12 months of age. Mm -hmm. You know, if we waited to introduce textures until that point, they'd be missing out on lots of that oral skill development that's so Mm -hmm. important for being a really happy, healthy eater. So they don't need teeth. They can do early chewing pattern and munching or kind of grinding or gumming their food where they're actually putting it on their gums. Mm And that's enough to kind of squish the food. So we do want food to be safe in order for them to do that because obviously if we're giving them like a hard stick, they're not going to be able to munch or kind of grind that down with just their gums. Mm. But if we're giving them a lovely soft, you know, baby led weaning finger, then that's lovely. They can definitely chew that with their gums. Mm. 
again, when it comes to meat, you know, we're not going to expect babies to kind of grind down meat on their on their gums. They're going to be sucking and gnawing on pieces of meat initially. Mm-hmm. And then when they get a little bit older, so over that eight to nine months mark, you can probably do some lovely shredded pieces of meat or go really, really thin or super diced and they should be able to manage that sort of texture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they can definitely chew without teeth. We want to get those textures in. Mm, definitely. It's just about the soft foods, isn't it? And it being able to, I think you mentioned in the last podcast, it's safe for, you know, that six, seven, eight months to be able to sort of squish it between your fingers. Like that's how soft we want it. We don't want those harder yeah. harder things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we can do things to help kind of improve their jaw strength. So like even, you know, if they've got teethers or things that they put in their mouth and they're kind of moving side to side and chewing on, you know, all those sorts of things help to build their jaw and jaw strength for chewing Mm. and munching on foods with their gums Mm -hmm. they're funny little creatures aren't they i never imagined that babies could you know quote unquote chew things with that teeth but you know here we are yeah absolutely and so great for their development so great and then one final question for you is from tanya um how much fruit is okay at each meal for a nine month old or can i is too much fruit at each meal too much sugar um it's not so much the sugar content that's the issue because you know, the sugars in fruit are connected, they're in intact cells, they're coming with a lovely amount of fibre and vitamins and minerals. So it's not the sugar that's the issue. Mm-hmm. It's more the variety. We mm-hmm. want need babies to be seeing a variety of foods at each meal. We want babies to be exposed to family meals. We want babies to see a variety of different vegetables, different colours, different textures, especially those bitter type green vegetables, which are more difficult for babies to learn to eat Mm. so we need them to be exposed to a variety of different foods if we're only serving like that same food at every meal then they're just missing out on variety so that would be the issue more than just I guess the sugar in the in the fruit like you said we're missing out on the iron if we're just serving fruit at a meal we're missing out on the the you know fiber from the carbohydrate or the healthy amount of fat as well yeah exactly yeah so we want those meals to be as nutritionally balanced as possible but also variety like we need to see different foods textures often like keep re-offering foods like broccoli zucchini you know beans those sorts of foods that you know they have those more bitter textures they can take those you know, 10 to 15 exposures for your baby to readily accept them. So mm. if we're only offering fruits, then we're kind of missing out on on variety. Mm-mm. And then final question for myself, very selfishly, <laughs> is it true that when you give babies foods, particularly for the first time or the first, second exposure, they always make a face? Because I've put up so many videos of Mia. People just love seeing her eat. It's hilarious. And they go, oh, she hated that. And I'm like, no, she just made a face in the beginning. But after 10 minutes of gnawing on it, she actually really enjoyed it. Like oranges or avocados, whatever I've given her. It's always like, a, oh, mom, what is this kind of face to begin with? Yes. And then it's like she learns to love it because I always just film the first part of me giving it to her. People think that she doesn't like it. Is that true that babies always have almost like a negative reaction to most new foods that they try? It's not even a negative reaction. It's just a reaction. Yeah, because they just don't know what it is. Yeah, it's just new. Just new. That's all it is. So I think we need to stop kind of labelling it as, yeah, oh, the baby doesn't like it. Um, That's that's not the case at all. They're just making faces because they're presented with something new that they haven't seen or tasted before. So they're just reacting and that's completely normal. It's completely normal for them to make all these wonderful faces which look like, you know, they're, you know, especially with sour foods or bitter foods. Um, yeah. So, again, it's really normal to see that. Keep offering, keep giving them the food. It doesn't mean they don't like it. 
you know, and it's really common for a lot of parents to kind of say, oh, my baby doesn't like that food or they don't like this food. Yeah. My opinion, my response to that is they potentially don't like it yet. They haven't learned to like it yet. Mm. We need to keep offering, keep giving them the opportunity to learn to like the food. Eat, learning to eat is a process. So they might not, you know, initially swallow a lot of the food or take a lot of the food on the first exposure. Remember they need to touch and see and interact with foods because they're those pre-eating skills or pre-eating to pre-eating a food basically. Mm. So mm. they need to do all these things first and then maybe on the fifth, sixth, seventh time you offer it, they're probably going to eat it. Love it. And it reminds me even as adults because growing up as a, I guess, a teenager, hated olives and hated mushrooms. And now they're like two of my top favorite foods. And I think yeah. over time I just, you know, mum would be like, just try it. Or she'd put olives on a pizza. And I'm like, well, I love pizza. So I guess I'll just eat it because she wouldn't let us pick anything off. She was very, you know, when we were kids, she was like, you have to eat everything on your plate. So <laughs> I really just learned to love them. And now I'm like, I'm obsessed with like some of my favorite foods. So you're right. It's just that repeated exposure over time. And yes. we can actually grow to learn to love things, can't we? Yeah, exactly. And you know, babies are learning to eat. Sorry, you know, everything is new initially when you serve it. Um, it's not something that babies just do. Babies just don't go, oh, it's food. I'm going to eat food. That's not how it works. Like they need to learn how to eat and learn how to eat a lot of variety in the, fo- the foods that are in your family. So you want to keep serving the foods that you serve regularly in your family to your baby particularly the nutritious ones because I think that's yeah. a, a common thing that I see um in the in the parents group that I'm in online is people go I give my baby veggies they make a face they throw it on the ground they don't like any veggie and I think it's just that repeated exposure or knowing yeah. that that's okay if they don't try it or they throw it on the ground we just have to really keep trying and keep pushing on yeah keep offering yeah absolutely and I think that's the thing too is that we kind of get stuck in oh they don't eat it so we don't offer it again but then we'd by not offering it they never have the opportunity to learn how to eat it Mm. sorry you've got to keep re-offering it's really important and you know try and stay neutral I know it can be triggering for some parents if you know your baby throws food on the ground or if you've gone to a lot of effort to prepare something and they don't eat it but it's really common for babies to you know not eat one day and then eat something the next day or to perhaps throw food on the ground the first few times that it's presented or push it to the side um, I remember doing this series on my daughter when she was learning to eat just about broccoli because whenever I put it in front of her, she'd always just like scoop it off to the side. And it just became this thing like, when was she going to eat broccoli? Because, yeah. you know, it was like 50 times I'd kind of filmed her and she just kept moving it. And look, to this day, she still won't eat broccoli, but I still <laughs> won't stop serving it because yeah. that's something that we eat in our family. So whenever we have it, I will serve it to her because one day she might actually eat it. I love that. I love I love the optimism. <laughs> and even with me, when she gets broccoli, she doesn't push it to the side. She gets it and she, because I steam it really nice and soft and she crumples it in her fist and all the little pieces just go all the ground. And I'm like, oh, great. Now we can't hold it. <laughs> yeah, great. But she might actually then put her hand in her mouth and then some of those pieces get in the mouth or she might touch another food. And so she's eating it, you know, she might be eating it in other ways, not in the way that we expect it to be eaten. Yes. No, that, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. Well, Anna, it's been, again, an absolute pleasure Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, you've been a wealth of knowledge as always. Um, you have a wonderful ebook, so I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about that ebook and also where we can find you online and if um, people can book in for a consult with you. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. It's been so good being here again. Um, yeah, I've got a ebook which discusses really everything that you need to know about introducing your baby to solids, like literally everything that you would want to know was in there. What to feed your baby? What you know, foods to avoid, feeding your baby, gagging, choking, introducing food allergens, being 
responsive and establishing a lovely trusting feeding relationship with your baby, setting up their feeding environment. So it really does include everything. You can get that from www.nourishlittlelives.com.au. Also follow along for Instagram. There's a whole heap of free stuff that I'm always kind of posting online as well. And then one-on-one consults. Yeah, if you're having any struggles along the way, if your baby's constipated and you want to, you know, you want some advice, if your baby's not taking to solids, if you're just wanting some ideas about how to make their diet really nutritious then one-on-one consult can be really useful as well and even just reassurance I think for some parents you know particularly myself first time mum, I am quite anxious about the things that I was feeding her and honestly baby led weaning absolutely terrified me now I've done my my baby first aid course and I've had a chat to you and I've chatted to a few other pediatric dietitians I do feel a lot better but I think even just a consult um helps to reduce down some of that anxiety as well doesn't oh, it yeah. if, if nothing else yeah, absolutely. And I think it just helps, you know, parents to really put things in perspective about what to expect, what they could be doing to kind of set up the, that lovely reciprocal feeding relationship. Because really what we want is for babies to trust food. Mm. So, um, you know, we need to make sure that we're kind of responding to their cues and, you know, no force feeding you know, establishing lovely feeding environments, those sorts of things. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you, Anna, so much for joining us. Um, you've just, yeah, you've you've taught me things, even today. I thought I was I've done all my oh, research. I thought I'm good here. here. But even today, you've taught me more things. So thank you so much again for coming on. Uh, no worries. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely seeing you again.